0: from Colossians chapter 4, just reading verses 2 to 6. And again, this is God's holy and word. Let us hear it. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom to though, toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And there, the reading of God's Word. May He bless it to us. Well, we're coming very quickly to the end of this letter, and you can see what is before us, and you're probably wondering, how's the pastor going to be preaching on those final greetings and closing exhortations and blessings that are there? Uh, Well, it's the typical way that Paul ends his letter. Uh, This has been a, a brief letter. If you were to sit and read it, you could probably get through it within an hour, and yet it is a letter that is full of Christ. And, and also, being full of Christ, it is a letter that is full of Paul's concern for the church in Colossae and for the church in general. Uh, he wanted and he wrote with the purpose of helping them understand what it means to be complete in Christ and being complete in Christ to so live as one who has been reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ. You might think it should be clear and and the concept of living as a Christian should be very simple and understandable to all of us. But the problem is that there is much out there within the Christian world, within that visible kingdom of God world of the church that really confounds and, and brings a problem after problem in, in just basic Christian living. We have seen in this letter to the Colossians how Paul was concerned over their, the things that were influencing them and taking them off of the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. We can get misdirected, and that's what was happening in Colossae. They were being influenced by traditions of men. And, and what always happens when traditions of men take over the authority and ministry of God's Word and, and the wisdom and knowledge that comes from God's Word. is Traditions often lead to legalisms where we start saying, if you don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, uh, you're, you're not a Christian. Or if you are doing this and we consider it a sin... You know, we're, we're very good at, at putting things into those compartments and saying, if you don't do this and you do this, you're sinning and you can't be a Christian. And that kind of legalism was taking over people's concerns. That legalism that looks at your salvation being based on something other than Christ and the work of redemption He accomplished on the cross. And as soon as you start down that path, it it becomes an endless list of do's and don'ts. And that was happening there. And not only were they being influenced by traditions of men, they were being influenced by vain and deceitful philosophies that were coming into the church from false teachers that were bringing about this mysticism in Christianity. Uh, understanding. Uh, what uh, or, and who Jesus is, and how how is it that that Jesus rose from the dead? Understanding uh, what it means to to live and know and walk in the light and the truth. Well, there were some who were coming in and saying, "Oh, you you need this special knowledge, or you need this extra baptism of the Spirit, and you need this, and you need this, and these vain philosophies." were leading God's people into this mystical nature of Christianity. And Christianity is not mystical. It is a mystery. But Christianity is about the truth of who Jesus is, the Son of God who became man, the Son of God who took uh, our place in death, the Son of God who uh, was uh, who had died and was buried but who rose again from the dead and and had a real and physical resurrection there's nothing mystical about what christ underwent there was a lot of spiritual aspects to it but it is not mystical we can get caught up in wondering uh, how do we relate to God, uh, how my spirit connects with God's spirit. And, and, and all of these things were beginning to, to influence the church in Colossae and leading them down a false road of the faith. Same thing happens today. There's a lot of that around us today. And and they were also being influenced by extreme aesthetic practices of abstinence and rejection of good things. You know, I I often think it's it's more of a danger. You need to beware of people who will tell you what, what you can and can't be doing as a Christian in your life. I mean, there's some things that are pretty basic and understandable because they are sin. Uh, you know, we, we talk about things like immoral movies and, and what's on television and, and what's on the Internet and all of that. And, uh, but you'll get those who will come along and say because that immorality exists in that realm that computers are sinful and Christians shouldn't have them. Uh, we went through that in our generation. It was if you're a Christian, you really shouldn't have a television in your home. And, and But the practices were even more extreme in their day. And refraining from things that God had given to be enjoyed. You know that checklist, Christians should not smoke, swear, or drink. Well, perhaps some shouldn't. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, smoking and, and, and drinking. You know, uh, but to label that as the asceticism that everyone must practice, you must wear dresses to church. You must come in in this manner to uh, issues of life. You know, you have all of these practices that were building up in the church, and for them, it had a lot to do with, with meats that you ate and and uh, eating and drinking with with people that weren't of the faith and they were coming along and saying, Christians shouldn't be doing these things. And that kind of moralism takes over the life. And what happens with all of this is again, the simplicity of Christ gets lost. (laughs) Understanding who Jesus is, what He has done to bring you salvation, and how your your salvation and your life is now hidden in Christ. The very simplicity of Christianity was being lost for these things. Common sense Christianity was abandoned uh, for the sake of extreme things. And what Paul has done and bringing us to this place where in verse 5 we see that, that imperative walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. What Paul has done in chapter 3 and up to this point is he wants you to see, dear Christians, that each one of you are a work in progress. That the work of Christ's redemption, it's a reality that you now stand in. If Christ has redeemed you, you are saved. If, if you have believed in Jesus Christ and knowing that, that His death on the cross was a substitutionary death for you, where He has, has taken away that judgment and penalty for your sins that you deserve, and and has brought about that mercy of God where you are forgiven of your sins and accepted by God, if you have been justified in Jesus Christ, you are saved. And the reality of your life now is one of growing in that knowledge of His saving mercies. It's one of being sanctified where you are learning, as Paul said in in chapter 3, where you are learning what it is to be renewed in the image of Christ, what it is to live in Christ, where you are putting off sinful tendencies within your heart and putting on that new life that is found in Christ. It's basic 101 Christianity. And he summarizes that here by saying you you need to walk in wisdom and you need to walk in wisdom to those who are on the outside. I mean the world may see the extremities of asceticism that you practice. they may see your abstinence, but that doesn't mean that they're seeing Christ. <laughs> All it means is that they're, they're seeing that you are changing your life in some moralistic way. <laughs> now, there's a greater wisdom that, that is to be exercised in how you present Christianity to those who are outside. And it's very basic. As he has already said in chapter 3, be kind and loving to one another in the church. <laughs> That should be basic, shouldn't it? It's hard to do though sometimes, isn't it? But that's basic. Be kind and loving to each other in the church. We've covered these things and you'll see as I summarize them why we're coming to this point. Honor Christ in whatever you do. Give it to Christ. You know, you're, you're, you're to do everything to the name of Jesus. Well, well let it be clear, you're, you're serving Christ. Let your home be a light of truth. Your religion isn't a Sunday-only religion. It's a religion of life that people should be able to see your kind and loving attitudes and honoring of Christ in your homes. Be obedient to authority and kind to those who you serve. I think the the key word that you're hearing through all of that is is kindness. It, It is something that ought to just exude from the life of a believer because we see how kind and good God has been to us and His Son. And it's being reflected in our lives And and so Paul brings us to the summary of of this being renewed in the image of Christ and walking in wisdom before the unbelieving world. His, His point here being is you need to learn to be kind to people in general. And if people ask you why you're so kind, it's because God in Christ has been kind to me. You see, it's basic Christianity, isn't it? Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. And while there's always an element of Christianity that is offensive to the world, and we can do nothing about that, I I do know and I do see that the most offensive thing about Christianity is the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and the gospel. There is no other way to be saved. You will never gain entrance into the presence of the Father by your good works. You can't do it. Do you know how many people still believe that? It's one of the greatest lies that Satan has Set upon the heart of man, you will know good from evil and you will be able to live your life in a a way of goodness that God will be pleased with you. Don't worry about death. (laughs) And many people walk in that way. And many people believe themselves to be all right with God because they're not an axe murderer or Hitler. Well, that's something to be compared to, isn't it? (laughs) But people talk that way. And and we come with the exclusivity of Jesus Christ to say, there is no other way to the Father. None. Even your good works, as good as you think they are, they are before God as filthy, gross rags. And Jesus Himself said, He alone is the way of truth and life. That if you want to come and and even ask and pray for the Father to help you, you need the redeeming work of Christ upon your life to be able to clothe your prayers with holiness so that they may be heard by God. That's offensive. And we understand that will always be offensive to the world around us. Because it says to these people, you are are not good. But while the exclusivity of Christ and the Gospel are offensive to the world, what Paul is getting at here when he says walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, he is saying don't you make the Christian life offensive by unwise conduct. That's his point. As one commentator said this, the attractive nature of Christianity should be wisely exhibited before the world. Uh, the word that's often used today is winsome. But I, I, I like how he puts it here. He says the attractive nature of Christianity. Because we don't always get it right. But, but we can display that nature of Christianity when we understand the simplicity of Jesus Christ, what He has done in redeeming us. The commentator goes on to say in in respect of this, that the life and practice of those within the church is what they especially look at and learn from. And the question comes to us is that what are they looking at? What are they seeing? What are they learning from us in respect of the Christian faith? And Paul's point here in in dealing with this wise walk that we are called to. it's not just about abstaining from things that we consider to be sin or abstaining from sins that would disgrace the gospel. His point here is we are to be actively adorning the doctrine of our God with kindness, with generosity with love with wise patient truth it sounds simple but as always when we're told to do these things we understand why we're being told to do these things is because we do get it wrong <laughs> and we do bring offense to Christ in a bad way. And, and so he says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. And that phrase, redeeming the time, of course, it's, it's in Ephesians 5 as well, but that word time more, more means season. And, and what Paul is saying there is, look, make the best use of the opportunities that are given you in your brief time to witness for Christ. Redeem the time. And so how do you walk in wisdom? Well, the first thing that we see Paul focusing on here again is praying. It always begins with praying. Praying, and as you see him in, in verse 2, he, he says, Continue earnestly in prayer. Keep at it. One of the things that you need to, to be aware of when, when it comes to walking in wisdom is you need to be aware of the weakness of your flesh. Because you, you read what he says there about continuing earnestly in prayer. He, he connects it with a, a, vigilance, a, a vigilance sorry in it with thanksgiving. It, it, there's this awareness that we must be Vigilant when we are praying before God, understanding the nature and weakness of the flesh. That word vigilant is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 26, 41, when He said to the disciples, Peter, James, and John, He says, come and watch with Me. And and He wanted them to, to be with Him, praying earnestly for Him. Because, as we heard this morning, that hour of darkness had now met Christ. And He needed strength. And He needed, even in His own flesh, that encouragement from God to continue on, to be obedient to the will of God. And He looks at His disciples and He says, come and watch with Me. Come and be vigilant with Me. And how vigilant were they? Jesus comes back and finds them sleeping. And he speaks to Peter directly, the one who said, I won't forsake you, Lord. <laughs> Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. Because what? The flesh is weak, the spirit may be willing. The flesh is weak. And by the flesh, he's not just talking the physical body. He's talking about those passions and those desires and, and, and what uh, fuels us in our lives. And there is a weakness within us. And Jesus warned the apostles about the need for watchful prayer of guarding against the temptations of the flesh. And my friends, that, that is something very much that, that we need to be wise about, especially in our conduct to those who are outside of the kingdom of God. You have but to go back to chapter 3 and, and begin to, to read verses 5 to 9. And always, when you read those things, it, it should be obvious, Christians should be putting to death uh, the The members which are uh, around the earth, the sinful passions and zeal desires that are within us and and in verses five uh, verse five he focuses on the most obvious yes, Christians should be concerned about sexual immorality and and covetousness, that kind of idolatry that can fill our hearts and most of us i 'm sure look at that and say, well i got no issues there." <laughs> But it's that second group in verses 8 and 9 that come and meet us. Uh, To realize that there are other passions and weaknesses of the flesh that we need to be putting off, guarding against these temptations of anger and wrath and blasphemy and filthy language and lying. I, I mean, the world sees that. The world hears that. And if ever there's a place in which we can bring an offense to Christ, it's this unguarded aspect of the weakness of the flesh. That's why one of the ways of walking in wisdom is to every day and throughout the day be praying, Father, guard me from sinful passion. I mean, even today, first beautiful, warm, sunny day. And and on our way to church tonight to see some of the young students who are still around, how they are dressed and hanging out on the sidewalk. You, you see that and, and immediately you need to be praying, Father, guard my eyes. Guard the passions of my heart. Or even just driving to church. And you get cut off. What's the first thing every one of us say? Stupid driver. My wife always tells me, stop waving your finger at people. (laughs) They see it. They hear it. And, And why do we need to pray earnestly? It's because... Our flesh is weak. We can be like the disciples, earnest to be vigilant with our Lord, but falling asleep when we should be praying. And He says with your prayers as well, not only to be watching, but to fill your prayers with what? With thanksgiving. I was thinking as I was preparing this message of an old hymn. We don't sing it in our circles. I'm not sure why. I I think there may be... um, uh, maybe there's something doctrinal about it, or maybe it's too experiential. I don't know. Count your blessings. How many of you know that old hymn? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. But I I, I looked up the words of that hymn, and I thought, they're beautiful. Listen, Listen to the verses very quickly. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed. In other words, when in your struggles and trials of life you are tempted to curse God from this morning. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. Count your blessings. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your blessings. And so amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is overall. It, it sounds theologically correct. <laughs> it's very experiential. But what it's saying is, thank God. Give thanks to God. Because you are living your life in the presence of God. He is directing your life and your steps with wisdom. Do you believe that? I mean, we all, I think here, all have memorized Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Do not trust in your own heart. Uh, I, look, I forgot how it goes. <laughs> I, I do know it says, lean not upon your own understanding, but acknowledge God in all your ways, and He will direct your steps. But don't trust your heart. Don't trust your heart. You're living life in the providence of God. And you have many blessings. Can you name them? Can you count them? And in doing so, be able to say, Thank you, God. And guard what you count. Because it's not material blessings that are most blessed in your life. We heard this morning, That in a single day, everything that made Job's life look wonderful and blessed by God was taken away. And what was he left with? He was left with the things that are eternal. We can be like the Pharisee in Luke 18. I'll turn there because I'll mess it up if if I don't. But here are two men who went to the temple to what? to pray. And one was praying thankfully to the Lord, but look and listen to how he prayed. And again, this is part of this walking in wisdom. He prayed, Oh, I thank You, God, that I am not like other men. I like the words that come right before that. It doesn't say he was praying to God. What does it say? He was praying with himself. And I thank you God, that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give ties of all that I possess. Wonderful I am, O oh God, thank you for such a blessed life that I can live. Now the real wisdom, in thanksgiving, and the real wisdom in counting your blessings is being like that tax collector who stood before God and just said, God, be merciful. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve anything. Everything I have is a blessing from You. God, I want to bless You from my soul for forgiveness, for redeeming me. For healing me, for crowning me with your mercy and with life, you see how such a a prayer attitude, as it as it warms our own hearts, becomes evident to those around us. How can you walk in thanksgiving when this has happened to you? You, you know the things that happen to to Job just taking that man's experience are things that happen to people all the time. But what was Job's countenance? The Lord gave. The Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the world will hear that and the world will see that and they they will not comprehend the wisdom that brings forth such thanksgiving in prayer. But they will question it. There's no offense to God in that. So you see Paul, and there's more he says there about prayer uh, as well. the uh, uh, Gospel ministry, praying that doors would be open, praying that we may speak the mystery of Christ, witnessing His gospel in a clear and simple way. But there is a wisdom that comes and meets us in how we present our faith to the world around us. And it begins with prayer. Vigilant thanksgiving prayer. And then it moves secondly to speaking. And look what Paul says in verse 6 Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. And one of the greatest things, my friends, you need to redeem is your speech. <laughs> it always comes back to the mouth, doesn't it, <laughs> with God. Let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt. We heard from Proverbs 10, 31 and 32 about the mouth of the righteous and the lips of the righteous. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. And, and, and this, is, this is wisdom. I remember someone saying this and I, I, I heard it as well too. It's, it's always stood out in, in the movie uh, Anne of Green Gables when uh, uh, the mother, uh, what's her name? Marilla. Marilla. When she says to Anne, do you always have to talk? <laughs> and she said, oh, if you only knew all the things that were running through my mind that I don't say... <laughs> And and in light of that, I've always heard someone say, you know, just because something is going through your mind doesn't mean it has to come out of your mouth. (laughs) Oh, how unguarded we are with our speech. And Paul is saying the same thing that Solomon said. Your mouth is to bring forth wisdom and and to speak what is acceptable. And that's why he says, let it always, not always, Partially, not sometimes. Let it always be with grace. What is grace? Kindness and goodness to the undeserving. And let your speech be kind and good even to the undeserving. Not hostile. Not sarcastic. I tell you, and I say this as a rebuke to the church in general. I am shocked at the level of sarcasm that flows from Christians on the internet. It is harsh and unkind. And the world sees it. Not disrespectful, not insensitive, but seasoned with salt. There is a flavor of Christ in your speech. that's what we're called to. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. (laughs) Wow. And Paul has this in that context of us bringing the gospel to the unbeliever. And and if I could paraphrase, he's saying, what do they taste (laughs) from you? We have an incident. It's, It's in our past. But it's a, a long time ago we lived in this one community and we were trying to uh, draw people to the church and we went to this one house and we got to know the family there quite well. But uh, we we found out why they never came to church and that's because they got visited by uh, someone who came to the church. And that person took it upon herself to go around witnessing and evangelizing in the community and she would knock on the doors and she would ask, she asked this person do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? no well you're going to hell she left it there she spoke the truth (laughs) but there was no grace or salt to those words and what the unbeliever tasted was simply hatred you see these words; it's about a wisdom that we exercise before this world, and remembering, remembering that simplicity of the gospel spoken in John three sixteen. We know that well. You know the next verse: for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save. We forget that, don't we? And that brings us to the third point that Paul addresses there in verse 6, and that is knowing. Knowing. There is a wisdom of knowing the people that we are speaking to. Know how you ought to answer each one. And and there is a wisdom here. This, this means you getting to know people, where they are in life, how they are responding to life's circumstances how opposed they are to God and answering them in gracious, salty ways that brings a flavor of the gospel to meet them in their circumstances. I don't have time to unpack it. But Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, where it says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. It doesn't mean to simply ignore and cast off the foolish man. It is meaning to know and recognize how they are living in the foolishness of their unbelief and meeting them there. You think how Jesus answered Judas versus Peter. Did Judas experience the love of Christ? Yes. John 13 begins with Jesus and His disciples. He knew His disciples. And what does it say? He loved them to the end. And Judas was part of that. He was a friend to Judas. A friend of sinners even though this man would betray him and he spoke harshly to peter and he spoke with a great deal of passionate love to judas when he said you're you're going to betray me and woe to you but it wasn't that woe of anger and A condemnation. It was, you don't realize that you're about to spend an eternity in hell for what you're doing. Peter, he said, get behind me, Satan. You know? The way he spoke to the Pharisees versus the way he spoke to Mary or Pilate. There was wisdom to it. He got to, he knew the people he was speaking. He knew the circumstances. And yet it can be said of our Lord, this very thing, that He was always gracious. He never sinned with His words. My friends, that's the image that we are being conformed to. We're not there yet. We are called to walk in wisdom and to acknowledge this, this glorious truth. This is what we are being redeemed and may. In that wisdom, may we be praying and speaking and knowing that we don't bring offense to Christ and His gospel. Let's pray.